You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. My name is Brandon White, and I'm the pastoral assistant here at The Well. I took over that job back in March. Um, I'm also one of the core six. If you go look on the website, it says that. It says I like racing and guns and hunting and the band Red. I put that in there. I just put that in there, the band Red. So now you guys all know my favorite band. Um, I'm also uh, in charge of, um, I wear many different hats, hence one of the reasons why I chose this one. I kind of feel Irish. I was told I was Irish, but actually I'm Scottish. So I think I, I'm going to use a deal like uh, what Eric said. I need like a glass of scotch or something. <laughs> Sit there and take sips on that as I'm preaching. <clears throat> But uh, no, I, I wear many hats uh, from setup crew, which hopefully that's going to go basically away. Uh, I do help out with communion, prayer team. I oversee the hospitality team, which is the coffee, the greeting, the, and actually nursery is getting passed off. So I'm excited about that. Um, and I'm also part of the financial team, and I'm also preaching on Sundays. Usually, Pastor Joe is gone on the Sundays that I preach, but this is one of the first Sundays in like three years that he gets to hear me preach live. So I'm excited about that too. Um, I believe that I've been called by God to preach and teach about Jesus and his word. I also aspire to attain eldership here at the well. And so one of the requirements is to go through Porterbrook, like Michael said, and and that's where I'm heading. And uh, if yesterday is as, as, as exciting as the rest, of the Saturdays that were there, I'm super stoked. I'm super excited to learn about Jesus and what he has about the Old Testament, the New Testament, evangelism, and everything. <laughs> I feel to be called a pastor in some capacity here in the church, whether that's taking over a lead part, being a church plant again, um, being an associate pastor, um, somehow, possibly one day, doing that. I've at least got the name Pastor in my title, being pastoral assistant. So I'm excited about that. Let's go ahead and pray to open us up in um, the word. So uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that as we jump in this text that we can immerse yourself, immerse ourselves in the story. Uh, God, I pray that uh, as we uh, jump in and we learn about different things, we can understand the story and that it comes alive. God, help us to understand that you alone are worth everything, and, and you alone are, are the only one that is, is correct. And so, God, um, just pray that uh, we would have a better under, understanding of who you are and your desire of us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for me to preach and teach the word. In your name, amen. The text that we are going to be preaching, that I will be preaching out of today, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's Luke 10. 25 through 37. If you guys all will turn there, go for it right now. <clears throat> the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 through 37, it says this. And behold, a lawyer stood, with, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. (laughs) 
This guy gets it. He gets what Jesus is trying to teach. And he's like, Jesus is like, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, being the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This text is called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there's actually two stories here. And we're going to break it up so we can understand both stories. There's always the one where you want to prove a point, arguing to prove a point. We could talk about politics. Who's the greatest president? I think Ronald Reagan. And I know there's some of you that will decide otherwise. Some of you might think it's Barack Obama or even political candidates coming up for the 2016. That it might be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders Bring back Reagan. There we go. See, we got an argument started. Ben Carson might be another one that might be a good presidential candidate. I don't know. I don't have, I don't have regular TV, so I don't even get into the politics very much, but I do know who they are. We could also talk about football, the Huskers. We could talk about LSU or Ohio State. We got somebody here that likes Ohio State. I like Ohio State because they're in the Big Ten, but otherwise, when they play Nebraska, I want Nebraska to win. So we could talk about the NFL, the National Football League. We had a big controversy over the last seven months, and guess what? It actually kept football in the news. It was Tom Brady and his deflate gate. Regardless of what happened, he still has four Super Bowl rings, but we could argue about that, whether he should have it or not. Some people say once a cheater, always a cheater. And we could argue that too. We could also talk about auto racing, something that I'm very passionate about and I like. I like the rougher guys, the ones that do find the gray area and exploit it until they find a rule. We could talk about baseball, the Yankees or the Red Sox. Those are two bitter rivals. And we could argue who's better or who's worse. We could also talk about the Cubs and the Cardinals. I'm not a Chicago guy, so I'm going to go for the Cardinals. See, then we got Indiana. Somebody's already thrown out other teams. And I've only got a couple of them up here because I don't follow baseball enough. That's the first part of this story is arguing to prove a point. This lawyer, he's probably one of those that, that shows up when the 72 return. Jesus always attracts a crowd. And so he's, he's probably in there with the 72 that return. Not necessarily one of the 72, but he's in that crowd. And then... Jesus is sitting there rejoicing. And then we get into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this lawyer stands up and he says, 
How do I inherit eternal life? It's a good question, but it also is proving a point that it's about me. Self-preservation. What can I do to prove to make myself last longer than the next person? How do I get eternal life? How do I live forever? How do I make sure that I can live the next day or the next day or 10 years from now? Jesus knows that he's a lawyer and thinks that he can, that, that this guy can inherit eternal life. And Jesus, knowing that he's a lawyer who knows the Torah, this guy grew up learning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he can recite them by heart, verbatim, exactly how it goes. And so, Jesus asked him about the, God, about the laws of God and the laws that God gave the Israelites. And he says, what is written on the law? How do you read it? And this lawyer, knowing exactly what Jesus is talking about, goes back to the, to the Torah. And out of Deuteronomy 6.5, he answers with this. And you guys are going to hear exactly what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he continues on. He says in Leviticus 19.18, because he knows the law, he says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. That sounds exactly what this guy says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The answer that this lawyer provides seems so simple. And it is. It's so simple. Love God with all your heart. Everything that you want to do, love God with all your heart, with all your soul. Be warm with affection towards others. And then with all your strength, everything you do, whether it's at your job that you're getting paid, your voluntary job, in church, walking down the street, everything you do, love God with your strength. And then love God with your mind always reaching for the most wise understanding of an infinite God. We talked about yesterday about theology, which is the study and the application of this, your Bible. The way that you go about doing the study and the application of your Bible is get good books, good biblical books. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, a nice, big, thick book. I'm guessing most of you in here probably won't want to read it because there's no pictures. I like pictures, but this book just sucks me into it. I get up at sometimes at four o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep, and I'm like, well, not going to go back to sleep. Let's start reading something about Jesus. And so I start reading that, and it forces me to open up my Bible because I'm like, where is this stuff coming out of? And so I go back to the Bible to read the context that systematic theology is teaching me. You guys were getting that too when I was up here going through communion, talking about different things. We were going through the systematic theology of communion, the history behind it, why we started it, and what we're looking forward to. That simple answer is love God with everything you do. Everything. And then the second part that this lawyer does is he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's shooting himself in the foot right there by asking the question originally, how do I inherit eternal life? Self-preservation How do I prevent others from hurting me? 
And now he goes into that and says, love your neighbor as yourself. He just shot himself in the foot. Crap. I have to love my neighbor as myself. I want to self-preserve myself. How do I self-preserve my neighbor so I can self-preserve myself? The lawyer screwed it up. But that's what Jesus was also looking for. If you're going to argue with Jesus, he's going to push you until you give the right answer, and then he's going to point that out to you, saying, well, you screwed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the dictionary, a neighbor is defined as a person living or next to the speaker or person referred to. So if I'm talking about a neighbor, that's somebody that lives right next to me. Or if I come out and I stand next to Luke, my neighbor is Luke. But how far out does my neighbor reach? That's the ultimate question. But Jesus likes the, the lawyer's answer. For Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you'll live. If the lawyer would have accepted this answer and walked away, we wouldn't have the rest of the story. We would have stopped right there. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him and asked the test to test him, saying, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Goes through and says, love God, love your neighbor. Oh, cool. Jesus answers, you loved him, or you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. The second part of this, if he wouldn't have asked that, the story would have stopped there and we would have went on to Martha and Mary. But rather, the lawyer, being an idiot, says, who's my lawyer? And this is where we jump into the second part of of the, the, the text. And the lawyer wants to know, where can he draw the line in the sand? How far does my neighbor go? At what point does my neighbor stop? Is it because Michael's way in the back? I don't have to be a neighbor to him because we have Luke and then we have Morgan and Rick and the friends back there. I mean, where, where does my neighbor stop? How far out, how, far, how many blocks do I have to go before my neighbor stops? The person that is next to me, the person that is being referred to, living next to me. Where does that stop? Some of you guys have lived in on the same block your entire lives or the house you're living in now and you don't know your neighbors. The lawyer wants a definition of his neighbor so he can still be correct in God's law. C.H. Talbert paraphrases the lawyer's question this way. How can I spot others who belong to God's people so I can love them? Where do I draw the line? Is it with God's people, people that claim to be Christian? Or is it people that are within one block of where I live? Or as I'm moving down the road, that's one, one block. Where does my neighbor stop? Some of us have stopped helping people because of the ethnic lines. We stop at the Mexican border. Once you cross over, that's no longer my neighbor. Or you get to Canada and they talk funny, eh? We stop there. We don't go any further because that's not our friend. That's our, not our neighbor. Some of us, because of religious lines, oh, I won't help them because they're Catholic, or I won't help them because they're Buddhist or Muslim. I don't want to help them because, you know, they have some weird quasi idea of religion. Sometimes we stop caring for some Christians, people in our own church. We stop because they're not like us. They're different because I don't want to help them. They're not my neighbor. I don't have to see them except for on Sundays. So if they call me up during the week, I'm not going to help them because I don't want to be their neighbor. 
We also run across social lines or, or rich or poor. Sometimes because you can't financially help me, I don't want to be your neighbor. Because sometimes we think problems are too big. Sometimes being a neighbor requires us to drive an hour to go help them. I'm thankful that I had a neighbor, a friend that was willing to drive down to Red Cloud to change my starter, to, to get a starter for me and, cha- and help me change it. There's people like that, that are neighbors and people that you grew up in friendship with. But that's not the point of this story. It's who is my neighbor? Who is that the person that I don't know? The person that helped me was a Christian that helped me change my starter. But it's who is it that isn't a Christian that you can help? A couple weeks ago, I was taking my brother home and we drove by and we seen this car on the side of the road. It had a flat tire. And being selfish, I kind of made a deal with God because I seen her on the phone. I said, God, I'm going to drive back by, and if she's off the phone, I will talk to her. If she is still on the phone, I will not stop. God has a sense of humor because she wasn't on the phone as I drove by the second time. So I rolled down my window, and I'm like, hey, God, thanks. I got to do something. And so I yell out at this young lady, and I'm like, do you need some help? And she goes, no, I got roadside assistance coming. And knowing how slow roadside assistance is, I said, well, what time did they say they'd be here? Oh, they said they'd be here in an hour and a half, two hours. I've changed a few tires in my life. I know it does not take an hour and a half to change a tire. It takes 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes if we're slow and we can't get the lug nuts off. Uh, Yes, and if I'm trying to like lift it up myself because I'm not super strong. This lady was like, are you sure you want to help? And I was like, yeah, I'm still in my work clothes. I would have helped her even if I wasn't, if I would have been wearing these. And I've done that before. Christmas Day, I helped the lady move, uh, change her tire in my, Christmas cl- in my Christmas attire, getting ready to go eat Christmas food with my family. I was like, I'm willing to be late to help somebody so that they can go enjoy Christmas too. But this lady on the side of the road that had a flat tire, she needed help. She had no idea where her jack was. She had no idea where her tire was. So it was a great learning experience for her. And I was able to share the gospel with her, which was exciting. Something that I'm also not very good at is evangelizing to people that aren't willing to sit and listen to me preach like you guys are. It's the people that I get to go to out on the street that, that scares me. The thing is, though, is that the real question is not who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? Now, that's a play on words a little bit, but it's very significant that you guys understand this. Who is my neighbor is not the correct question. So it's not who is my neighbor, so I can claim Luke as my neighbor. I'll pick Andrew and Dave and, and, and then, well, obviously my brother because he's my brother. I'll pick him as my neighbor. And, and then the rest of you guys aren't. But rather it's, rather it's whose neighbor am I? So... If Michael calls me up and says, I need help, am I a neighbor to him? Am I willing to go help him? You know, if Jennifer calls and says, I need help, can you come help me? That's the question of who the neighbor is. The person you see on the side of the road. And this is where we end up seeing the second part of that story. And it gets tricky because Jesus goes into that and he talks about the parable of Good Samaritan. 
It's on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem, which is interesting because we just talked about this last yesterday about where Jericho and where Jerusalem is. But Jericho is up here and Jerusalem is down here. Actually, it'd be the other way around for you guys so that way you guys can get it. And then there's like the big body of water. I think that's the Sea of Galilee or something like that, the Dead Sea. But you have Jericho up here and it kind of squiggly lines down and there's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of the Israel, the Israel faith. That's where David and Solomon built the temple. And they are both religious cities. It's interesting though because in the Old Testament, what did Joshua do with Jericho? He marched around it blew some trumpets, and the walls came falling down. It was an unholy city. It was not supposed to be rebuilt, and yet the Israelites rebuilt it. It doesn't really have anything to do with our story, but it's interesting that that's part of the thing, the history behind Jericho, is that it was not supposed to be rebuilt, which if that was the case, we wouldn't have this story either. It'd be a different city. Jericho and Jerusalem are both religious cities. That meant that both priests and Levites would be traveling along this road, which is exactly why Jesus had this story. The first person we see in this story is a man getting beaten and nearly left for dead. It's interesting, though, because it says that, it says that a man was going down from Jerusalem. The only thing we know about this is it was a man. He was going from Jerusalem, or he was, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and we have no idea anything else. He's, probably, he's, he's obviously somebody that's of some religious importance, was going there to, to pray to God. He could have been a Samaritan, potentially. He could have been anybody. He could have been a converted Assyrian, but we don't know. Jesus doesn't give us that information because it's regardless to it. It's just a man going down the road, getting beat up by some robbers, being left for dead. He, we don't know if he's an elitist, if he's somebody of high importance or if he's just a commoner. We have no idea who he is. The next person that we see come walking along is a priest who is going down the road. Why didn't the priest stop? We don't know that either, but he was probably in a hurry. He had to get to Jerusalem because he, had, he was important. He was a, a priest that was somebody that needed to be leading worship. That would have been like this Sunday morning if I would have shown up at 11 o'clock. It's just now 11. You guys would be like, where's Brandon at? And I was helping somebody. I've got to get there. There's nothing that's going to stop me. I had one track mind leaving my house. Get to the well so that way I can preach. Many of us are that way. We also then see a Levite. And he also walks along on the other side. Don't get infected by that guy that's laying on the side of the road. He's all bloody. And the thing is, is that these guys were also very well-versed in the first five books of the Bible. And they were reading out of, the reason why they walk on the other side is because they go out of Leviticus 21, 1 through 3. And it says this, it's the, it's the holiness and the priests. It's telling the priests and the Levites why they need to be holy. They didn't want to go through the cleansing process, which was very ritualistic. The Lord said to Moses in Leviticus 21, 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people. They thought this guy was dead. He's nearly beaten to death. Except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, 
or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband. For her, he may make himself unclean. He can go and help those that are closest to him, his brother, his sister, anything like that. If I see one of you on the side of the road, if, or if, if Pastor Joe is following this and he sees one of you on the side of the road and you're beaten and you're bloody and you're not hardly breathing, according to this law, he needs to walk along on the outside and avoid you because he doesn't want to be unclean. The ritualistic cleanliness means that he'd have to go to the temple and wash his hands, wash his feet, take off his robe, his clothes, and get new ones. They'd be burned. They would be destroyed because they're unclean. The priest and the Levite were also worried about being ambushed. They didn't want to get beaten up. Sometimes that's what, that's what robbers do. They'll beat somebody so that you have to help them. So then you're over here helping them, and they come out behind you and beat you and take your stuff. It wasn't uncommon. If I was a robber, that's the way I would work. Make it so you're hurt, can't move, wait for somebody else to come along and beat you up. That's the way I would operate. I'd get more money then. I'd be able to get more stuff. They were always, always wanting to self-preserve. But God always gives us to a higher standard. They should have died trying to help him if they were to be ambushed. God says it's, it's good to help others. Love your neighbor. And this is exactly where Jesus is going with this. It's a higher calling in life to save a life, but rather to choose self-preservation is not. These two were committing the sin of omission, the sin of the failure not to do something when you know you should do it. If I see one of you on the side of the road that needs a drink of water and I have a glass of water, if I pass by you, that is the sin of omission. I knew what I should have done, but chose not to. They were committing the sin of omission, going all the way back to the beginning. Adam sinned with omission. He knew he should have stopped Eve from eating the fruit, and he didn't stop her. Jesus uses this as the next plot of the story, the biggest twist in all of the stories that he tells. I believe this is the biggest plot that he twists and turns on this thing. You're like, all right, I got this. There's going to be a Jewish guy that shows up, saves the day. Er, Wrong. Twists it so bad that you're like, what? Head explodes. A Samaritan walks in. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds that married into the Assyrians. They were Jewish. And then when they were exiled, they married into the Assyrians, came back, and they were told, this is your area. Stay there. The Assyrians were pagans. And so they married into the Assyrians, got some of their religious beliefs, and now they've got this quasi-Jewish Assyrian religion. It's hard for us today to understand who the Samaritan person would be because we don't really have that in our own culture. But it would be the same as today as if the North Koreans and the Americans are together. A North Korean helping an American, unheard of. It would be the same as if, if the Iranian, if an Iranian was helping an American. They chant death to America, but yet here you have possibly an Iranian Help an American. Understand that it's two people that don't like each other. It's hatred. Jesus talks about this even why we named our church the well. He goes into Samaria where the Samaritans are. 
and ask for a cup of water. And the lady's like, why are you talking to me? Jews and Samaritans don't get along. We don't talk. Why are you doing that? That's what the point of this plot twist is. Jesus knows this. He twists the plot and the story so much that you're like, where are you going now, Jesus? This is crazy. It's a Samaritan that shows up to save this guy. A good neighbor has compassion for people who suffer. Practical deeds of mercy. People talk about grace and mercy and they're almost interchangeable, but yet they are so far from it. Grace is, um, got to say this right. Grace is um, forgiveness given out by that person onto somebody else. Mercy is that person receiving that. It's undue grace, right? Set it close enough. Drawing a blank on that. Jesus gave the lawyer and told us this, that a neighbor has compassion for people who suffer. So you see the person on the side of the road that needs a drink. You see the person that has the flat tire. The person that calls you up at 2 o'clock in the morning that needs a jump start. Or at 7 o'clock. That's the person who is our neighbor. Jesus gave this lawyer and most Jews hated Samaritans. But when we come to someone in need, that is our neighbor. We can only be a neighbor to someone in need. That's the biggest thing that Jesus is trying to get across. Jesus gave the lawyer the answer to eternal life. Love God, love your neighbor. Love is spoken throughout the Bible, and indeed, the Bible is a love story. It's a love story of God loving us. We have rebelled against him and cursed the God that made those in the image of God. And yet, because of an act of love, God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life to die and save us. And Jesus called us to love God and love our neighbor. Anything that you do, anything, anything at all, love God, love your neighbor. It's super simple, and yet it's so hard for us to to actually accomplish, which is why we need Jesus on the cross. So I'm going to invite the, the band back up because I've got some questions that's going to close us out. The question that I have is, who are you going to be in this story? Are you going to be the lawyer, always arguing things with leaders in ministry, trying to prove that you have it right or that you have it all together? Are you going to argue with your bosses, trying to prove that this is the way things are done? They're put in a position of authority for a reason. They know what they're doing. I still like to argue. I still like to prove my point. And there is a time and a place for that. If somebody tells me that Jesus isn't God, I am going to argue that to the death. But if we're going to argue about whether, you know, the Boston Red Sox or the Yankees are a better team, who cares? It's baseball. We're not going to be playing baseball in heaven. We're not going to be playing football in heaven. We're going to be praising Jesus. Are you going to be a priest or a Levite refusing to get dirty to help someone? That could be helping to change a tire on the side of the road or listening to a person that's struggling to be a Christian 
There's some of you here today that have no idea how to live to be a Christian. I don't have it all together because I'm still on this side of heaven. I still sin. I still screw up. Yesterday, I freaked out on somebody a little bit. And the moment I realized it, I shut down because I knew I was wrong. Are you going to stay away from them and not associate with them, the people that are different, the people that need help because they look or talk differently, because they like certain things that you don't? Or are you going to be the biggest plot twist in all of Jesus' parables? Or are you going to be a Samaritan? The one who has compassion on the wounded, the one that has compassion on the hurting, the one that needs help. That doesn't mean that you call up and you say, hey, I need $5. And then you call up again and say, hey, I need $5 again or $10. It's the one that legitimately needs help. Be the Samaritan to that person the one that is on the side of the road, the one that does need the jump start, the one that calls you up at midnight wanting to commit suicide or that is struggling to be a Christian that says, I have no idea. I went out drinking and have no idea why I'm doing this. Help them. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Peter. And he's writing this letter to the Christians. And in 1 Peter 4, 8, I think he exemplifies loving your neighbor perfectly. We know, we know Peter screwed up loving God. He denied him three times and yet was restored. There's still hope for you. Just because you're denying Jesus, you can come back to that. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly keep charging forward love one another you get turned down keep going forward love God love your neighbor keep going forward there's going to be hard times in your life where people don't feel like they love you keep loving since love covers a multitude of sins love one another the second easiest way to do that is to ask for forgiveness from others. Love God, love Jesus. And in closing, we're going we're gonna to take communion, which God calls us to. Jesus, during his last supper, he calls us to that. And he says that this is my blood and this is my body broken and poured out for you. And the connection that I'm making here is that if you love God, you love Jesus because they are the same. Love Jesus. Love God. And love your neighbor. Some of you here today have issues going on. Get right with God. There's going to be a couple of us up here that are going to be willing to pray with you. If you have issues. I also ask that if you do have that, don't take communion until you get right with God. If that means sitting in your seat and waiting do that. Get right with God. Love God. And then love your neighbor. If you guys are a believer, come forward. If there's parents in here that have kids, 
serve them. Come up there together to serve them. If you're not a believer, we don't want to feel you guys, we don't want to pressure you guys into doing something that you guys don't feel comfortable doing. Sit back and see what it's about. See what the love and the joy is of it. If you're one of those people today that, that didn't know Jesus at the beginning of this, and now you feel like you do, come forward, get prayed for, and take communion because you're now in the family of God. That's exciting. We're going to get ready to close out and worship. So I want to pray for it. And we'll have the people that are going to serve come forward and, and the people that are going to be praying. And so, guys, love God. That's the thing that I'm calling you guys to the table for. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Let us pray. God, uh, I thank you so much for being able to to read about the Good Samaritan, to to learn who, who the Samaritan was, who the lawyer was, who the priest and the Levite were, but ultimately who you are, how easy it is how simple it is to to love you. And yet it's so hard. God, I thank you that you tell us who our neighbor is. To love our neighbor. And yet it's so hard to do that because we have so many differences. And so God, as we get ready to to pray and and, and continue to pray for those that need help and and to worship you and, and not only in song but in communion, God, uh, just thank you for the well. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and teach. So God, we love you. Amen. Guys, this is also our last Sunday here. Last song. Let's sing loud. You're listening to an audio message from the well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.